was in college, I spent a couple summers as a wilderness trip guide, believe it or not, out of a camp in Wisconsin called Camp Forest Springs. And so we would lead groups of people on these week-long outdoor wilderness trips. So it was like kayaking, backpacking, rock climbing, and canoeing trips. And uh, this is kind of one of those areas of my life. Um, so for that, those couple of summers, you know, I spent more, like I could count on one hand the number of nights I slept in a bed, not on a thermal rest in my tent. And my kids kind of don't believe this about me. This is one area where I <laughs> prefer a good mattress nowadays. <laughs> but uh, I, I think we could probably start like a line of, of t-shirts or clothing for parents that says, you know, I used to. Right, like I, I used to be a wilderness trip guide. I, I, I used to actually like cooking for other people and I threw amazing dinner parties, believe it or not. I, I used to like shower every day and <laughs> have a pretty clean car. But before I became a guide to others on these wilderness trips, I needed a guide. And in that uh, instance, his name was Norm Hoyt and he was a long time wilderness trip guide and so he took me and the other leaders out on uh, to, to train us, to lead us, to guide us. And he showed us all the ins and outs of backpacking and canoeing and kayaking and rock climbing. And he, you know, taught us how what to do when you are taking a canoe through a rapid. How do you do that? If you happen to tip over, how do you handle that? He uh, took us out into the middle of the river with our kayaks and tried to teach us how to roll. I never actually did that, but <laughs> did a practice with him. And he taught us how to do things like uh, make a campfire, make a campfire when everything is wet. Uh, he taught us things like uh, the final sweep. He called it the final sweep, which is after you have packed up camp, you always make a final sweep. When everything is in your, your, you know, back in your backpack and everything is packed up in your canoe or kayak or wherever, whatever um, you're doing, you always go back through camp just to make sure you didn't leave anything important behind. And it was so awesome to have a guide out in the wilderness. And I sometimes think, wouldn't it be great to have a guide <laughs> for all of life? You know, like somebody when you're dating to be like, yeah, not that one, maybe this one <laughs> over here. Or like when you're in the middle of a fight with your partner to, you know, just have somebody who, right as you're about to say, like, you're so much like your father, you're so much like your mother, I, yeah, don't, you know, just someone to guide you, to say, someone to go over here, do it this way, don't do it this way. Uh, I sometimes think of that, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, because we are in this series called Decision Making 101, and we all have so many decisions that we are making, key decisions all the time. And we often are looking for guidance, you know, through all the twists and turns of life. And the Bible says that God is our guide. All throughout scripture, we see God guiding people, being a guide to his people. In the beginning, when God was going to form a people, he came to Abraham. And the, the scriptures say this, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. God is guiding, guiding Abraham. And when it was time for the people to leave Egypt, the scriptures talk about how the Lord would go before them in a pillar of cloud by day, in a fire by night, this physical 
picture of spiritual promise and guidance. And then in Proverbs, we read about God guiding us. One of the most famous, perhaps, passages in in Proverbs just says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Our stained glass, you know, reminds us of Psalm 23 which talks again about God desiring to guide us. He, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. All of these instances, even in the New Testament, James 1 puts it like this, whoever among you lacks wisdom, ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. It's like God is desiring to guide his people, but of all the amazing characteristics of God, I think God's guidance is one that we often struggle with the most. Certainly you have folks who use that sort of divine guidance language very liberally, right? That God told me to do this, God told me, moved me here, God put this burden on my heart, God, and people for whom that comes very easy. But there's other people uh, are very devout, very faithful, very much seeking after God, who just honestly have not had that experience. And sometimes they wonder of their friends who are speaking this way, like, is something wrong with me? Like, am I just not doing this right? Are, are they making it up? I think of all the different aspects and facets of the greatness of God, the guidance of God can just be the most confusing to us, and that's what we're going to talk about today. What we learn from the stories of scripture is this. We have to learn how to recognize when God is speaking to us. There's this wonderful story in the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament. It's about a boy named Samuel, and I think this little story helps us to understand some things about God's guidance and hearing from God in our lives. This comes from 1 Samuel 3, where we we read this little story. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. another slide after mine. Yes, thank you. (laughs) So he went and lay down. And again, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me? My son, Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And that's what Samuel did. That was really the beginning of his relationship with God. And here's the thing I don't want us to miss from this little story. God is speaking. Samuel knows something is going on. He does not know it is the voice of God. Samuel, like us, had to learn to recognize the voice of God. 
had to learn to hear God's voice in his life. It's possible for God to guide a thought in your mind. But maybe you don't know it's God doing that. And that is what happened to Samuel. He didn't know. And what's so cool in this story is Eli helped him. You could call this like the ministry of Eli. Someone who helps someone discern the voice of God in their life. God can speak to you in any way he wants, through scripture, through, through a song, through, through any way he wants, through circumstances, through a thought, through a friend. And he desires for you to hear from him. But we have to learn to recognize what is the voice of God. And that involves, I think, just quickly debunking a few myths about hearing from God. So here's some myths about hearing from God. First of all, sometimes we think God only speaks to spiritual giants. Sometimes we also think, if I am super in tune with God, then he's going to guide me, and I'll never have to make any decision. Like, I won't have to decide to, what to eat for breakfast because God's just going to point that out. There'll be no decisions to be made if I'm super, super tuned in. Another myth about hearing from God is that God will speak to me through all my feelings, and so God's guidance is this inner subjective thing that I determine for myself by looking inside myself. So let's just walk through these real quick. First of all, God only speaks to spiritual giants. Throughout the scriptures, we know that's a myth. There, there's actually a time when God speaks through a donkey in the Bible. God can speak any way he wants, and all of us are being formed spiritually. It's just whatever we're worshiping is what is forming us. So you don't have to be super spiritual giant for God to speak to you and through you. Second one, you know, is this idea, if I'm super in tune with God, then he will guide me and I'll never have to make any decisions. And that is a myth. I mean, think about this just if, as a parent. As a parent, do you want to tell your children for the rest of their lives every single thing they should do? I mean, would you want for your children to always, you know, eat this for breakfast and go to this place and here's what I want you to wear and here's who you should marry and here's what you should major in and here is what you should work and here is what you should do. Is that what you want for your children for the rest of their lives? The correct answer to that would be no. <laughs> <laughs> the, con <laughs> the controlling part of us is like, yeah, actually, that sounds kind of amazing. <laughs> it goes back to the t-shirt, right? Like, I used to be a person who wanted responsible, healthy children. Now I just want total control. <laughs> but, but we don't want that for our kids, right? We want our kids to grow into wisdom. We want them to grow into courage. We want them to be people who, when they are away from us, make good decisions, wise decisions. Decisions of courage and love and truth and justice and mercy. That's what we want for our kids, ultimately. And becoming a wise person requires that you think things through. And at some point, you, you take in wise counsel, you seek God, but at some point, you, you decide. And inherent in that decision is some risk. You are going to sometimes get it wrong. And in that mistake is the opportunity to be accountable for the mistake, to learn and to grow and to mature. So it's a myth to think like if I'm super in tune with God, he's going to gu guide every single little thing and I'm never ever going to make any mistakes. 
we choose because that is part of how we grow into maturity. You know, sometimes I think the reality is I, I don't really want guidance. What I really want is I want to be spared from having to make a decision at all. Do you relate with that? Sometimes I don't want God to be my guide. I just want to sort of like get out of the natural anxiety that comes with needing to choose, to decide, to be responsible. And God is not a convenient escape from the natural weight of just choice and responsibility. God will not uh, let us use him in that way. Part of God's will for your life and mine is that we would grow into full maturity. That over time, through listening, through guidance, through mistakes, through failure, through getting back up again, right, that we would grow into full maturity in Christ. And sometimes I don't actually want that guidance. I just, I just want out of the responsibility, right? I want to offload the responsibility. It's kind of like that, that story about the CEO who goes and takes a new position, and the old CEO says, like, you're going to do a lot of things right, but you're going to make some mistakes, and so when you make your first mistake, I've left you three envelopes, so after the first mistake, open the first one, and second, and third, and so the new CEO, you know, is going along great, and then all of a sudden makes a mistake, so he goes to the, the drawer and, and pulls out the envelope, opens it up, and it says, blame me, and he's like, yeah, you know, it's the old CEO's fault. I inherited this mess. It's not my fault. And everybody's like, yeah, that's, that makes sense. That's right. And then he's going along and makes a second mistake. He goes and gets the second envelope. And in the second envelope, it says, blame the board. And he's like, yeah, that's right. I inherited this board. These problems existed long before I was here. Blame the board. And everybody goes, yeah, okay, that makes sense. And he does that. And then he's going along, makes his third mistake, goes and gets the envelope. And it says, prepare three envelopes, right? <laughs> it's, it's like us to want to just blame, not take responsibility for things, to pass the, the buck. And there's no way to learn, including spiritually. There, I mean, in all of life, there's no way to learn except through choosing and there's no way to choose without some risk. And sometimes that risk will mean a mistake. And there's no way to have a mistake without having some pain, which is why in every mistake, we have the chance to just dive deeper and deeper like a spiral into the grace and the mercy and the love and the forgiveness of God. It's why when we come to the table, we come and we, we confess we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We are truly sorry. We humbly repent. And God is just lavishes his love, his forgiveness, his mercy. This is, this is the gospel. Sometimes I think when it comes to decision making, it's, it's almost as if God is like, seek wise counsel, pray, put your face in my face, and choose, like, make the best choice. And when you fail, and you will, I will be here. I am with you always. So that's second myth I think we have to debunk. And then the third one is just this very popular idea that God will speak through our feelings 
and that God's guidance is always this inner subjective thing, and we determine God's will by just looking within, it's popular right now to say, like, you have everything you need inside yourself, so just look inside yourself. And as followers of God in the way of Jesus, I think we have to nuance this out. Yes, God's spirit indwells you. Yes, God's spirit can speak within you. And at the same time, this side of eternity, we have what the Bible calls the flesh, the sinful nature. I don't know if you have noticed, but every feeling that you and I have is not one to be followed. Like There are times when I, I am really angry, and maybe it's like I missed breakfast, but if I act in that moment, I could really hurt some people. And so I think we have to nuance this out, this whole thing of like God's guidance being an inner subjective thing. The Holy Spirit does reside within you, and let's also remember we live in this now and not yet. And there's a whole lot of thoughts and feelings and desires that are not from God. Times when I do just want to shirk responsibility. Times when I do want to just run away from something because it's hard. Or dish out a sharper, mean-spirited word. Not everything inside of me is God guiding me. I like how Richard Foster talks about guidance he points out that in the book of Acts, there is a time where we read that the community is gathered. They're gathered together in worship. They're gathered together in prayer. And the Bible says that God told them to appoint Saul and Barnabas to the work that God had called them to. But that little phrase, God told them. And Richard Foster points out that God's guidance is not an individualistic enterprise. It is often corporate guidance if we together are guided, which is why so often we're talking about group life around here. Because my question do you, for you is, do you have a listening group of some form in your life? When you're faced with a big decision, do you have people who will listen to your process on that, who love you and love God and can be like an Eli in your life to help discern and recognize how God might be speaking to you in that consideration, in that decision. Because God's guidance is not just this individualistic enterprise where we just look within and self-determine everything God is doing and saying in our lives? No, it's a corporate thing. It's, it's we together. It's God told them these things. God guides us together. Henry Nouwen, who Vaughn was just talking about, doing a, a conversation around his book, he, he was a brilliant priest and author. He taught at places like Yale, Harvard, and in the last 10 years of his life, he felt God was guiding him to move into a community with severely challenged individuals, severely challenged emotionally, mentally, physically, and he moved into this community, and there was a man in that community that he writes about, and the man's name was Trevor, had some serious 
um, developmental disabilities. And at one point, Trevor needed to go to a psychiatric hospital. And Henry Nowen, having lived in community with Trevor, wanted to go visit Trevor at the hospital. So he called the hospital and he said, I want to come have lunch with my friend Trevor. And they said, sure. And once the leaders at the hospital got wind that Henry Nowen was coming to the hospitals, they said to him, hey, while you're here, could we host a lunch for you know, these doctors and PhDs and, and bigwigs to hear you speak? We could meet in the golden room. And Henry said, sure, we could do that. And so he arrives and he looks around and he doesn't see his friend Trevor. And he says, well, where's Trevor? And they said, oh, well, patients and clients are not allowed to eat together and patients are not allowed in the golden room. Tr Trevor's not here. And Henry Nowen uh, was not a confrontational sort of a personality. He was a very meek and mild man. But in that moment, he had this prompting from the Holy Spirit. Trevor, you're being clueless. Community is about inclusion. Trevor should be here. And now, in that moment, you know, it'd be very easy to be like, they're in charge. This is their domain. But he said to them, I, I came here to have lunch with my friend Trevor. And, and if Trevor won't be here for lunch, I won't be here either. And the leadership found a way to have Trevor come in and sit down. And it's so interesting as he tells the story because, you know, here they had come to hear Henry Nowen. And as happens sometimes in human nature, there was some, you know, probably jostling to be near, like you want to be the one to sit next to Henry Nowen or have a little conversation with Henry Nowen. So next week you could tell your friends, like, so I had friend, you know, when I was having lunch with Henry Nowen last week, and so he, he's there, and uh, Trevor is sitting next to him, and at one point he said that he, uh, he's talking with someone, and he doesn't realize that Trevor has stood up, and he's raised up his glass of Coca-Cola, and then he announces to this room of PhDs and doctors and fancy people, he raises his Coke in the air, and he says, a toast. I have a toast to make. And it got real awkward, like, uh-oh, what is Trevor going to do? And then Trevor just starts to sing. If you're happy and you know it, raise your glass. <laughs> and slowly, the room just kind of quietly, and then louder and louder and louder, all the doctors and PhDs and Henry Nowen himself starts singing. And in that moment, it was like God was speaking through the least likely person, everybody came to hear Henry Nowen. But the moment everybody remembered was Trevor, was when God was speaking through Trevor. See, God can speak, God speaks in many different ways to many different people and through many different ways, through many different people. And my prayer for you and I is that we might learn, as Samuel did, to say, speak, Lord, your servant, that's me, is listening. And then that we, like Samuel, might hear God's voice and yield 
granted his desires, even when they look different than we thought, even when they are not what we would have planned, that we might yield to his desires today and every day. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are still speaking. We pray that you might help us to recognize your voice. Would you lead us to the Eli's who help us to learn to recognize your voice? Whether it is still or it is loud, would you help us to see where you are working so that we might join you, be in step with you? God, that your rule and reign might come in every area of our lives. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.